Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, and when you have found Matthew 21, the honor of the reading of God's Word, if you would be so kind to stand with me as we jump quickly to this passage, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it reads like this, now when they... Uh, drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees, spread them on the road. Then the multitude went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, I think you just heard this song. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, this morning we worship you through our singing, through our praise of you, through our giving, through our fellowship together, through our Sunday school time. And now, Father, we focus on your word. In the short few minutes that we have left, Father, I ask this of you that you make very little of me, very much of yourself, that you may be seen in all of your glory this morning. And this we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to preach very quickly this morning, very quickly, so you'll have to listen very quickly. Today is actually Palm Sunday. Today is Palm, Palm Sunday. It starts the celebration of what is known as Passion Week. It is Passion Week. It starts the last week of the earthly life of Jesus. And it begins today with, with Palm Sunday. And today is the day that we look at that, that entrance, that triumphant entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus spent most of, his, most of his earthly ministry, most of his earthly ministry up in the Galilean area and, uh, and ministered in that Galilean area. Just previous to this passage back in Matthew 18, 19 and 20, uh, he has moved from that Galilean area over into the area of Perea, which is what we call Jordan today. He had crossed over the Jordan River into a new area and he had started heading, started heading towards the city of Jerusalem. Now, he was headed southward on a map, but it says that he was headed up to Jerusalem. The reason being is because he was going to be climbing some 4,000 feet to get into the city from where he was uh, down at the lower levels in, in the Galilee region and down to the Jordan region. So he was traveling up, and he had, he had gone through this, uh, uh, this Jordan area, this Perea, and he had been ministering, he had been healing, he had been sharing the gospel, and he went across a few interesting folks. He ran across this wee little man, if you remember, who had climbed up in a tree. His name was Zacchaeus. That was down in the area of Jericho, if you remember, as he was exiting that region. He also bumped into a couple of blind guys who were out by a gate. And he passed these couple of blind guys, and they cried out to him, and he wound up healing them. If you remember, it actually gave us one of their names. It was Bartimaeus. It was Bartimaeus. And why do I tell you this? Because Matthew 20, 29 gives us a little hint about what was happening as he was headed towards 
uh, Jerusalem. In uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 29 of Matthew, it says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. So as he had gone into the region and started ministering in that region, a great multitude of people had started gathering and following him. And a matter of fact, it was a great multitude of people heading from all over to this place called Jerusalem. Headed to this place called Jerusalem. Why were they headed to a place called Jerusalem? It was time for the Passover. They were just six days short of the Passover starting. And all of these people were heading. He had somewhere in the neighborhood of about 17 miles to journey. About 17 miles to walk and raised elevation heading towards this, this city called Jerusalem. And you can just see as he's walking along, the crowds are joining in as he goes through every city. And then up ahead of him in the city, the crowds are already gathering. It's been estimated at this point in time there's some 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem. In the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And there's this mass of people ahead of him. There's this mass of people that are with him. And this is where we pick up the story. This is where we pick up the story. I think it's interesting to know that there's a, a group that's following Jesus. I think it's interesting to know there's a group ahead. I think it's very interesting to know that he pulls up just short of the city. He pulls up just short of the city. And this, this Bethage is, is this little town, this little region. There's actually very little known about this city. Nothing, as a matter of fact except for the fact it's right across from Bethany, which we do know about. How do we know that? Because it says he sent a couple of disciples over to the city adjacent to where they were, uh, to the area adjacent to where they were. At that time, he was sitting in Bethany when he sent them across. So he's pulled up just short of the Mount of Olives. So between him and the 2.5 million people stands this mount called the Mount of Olives. It's a mount that's going to get a lot of attention in these next six days. A lot of attention between the Mount of Olives and the cities, the, the brook Kidron that he must cross to go into this city. When he pulls up just short of the city of Jerusalem in this area of Bethany, he's just two miles journey. Just two miles journey from his coronation, his entrance into the city. The day that he will be coronated as king, so to speak. And it's just six days before their Passover celebration. They were trying to get to the city. All of this mass of people were trying to get to the city because it's prescribed in Jewish law that they needed on this day to purchase or to, to pick out that lamb that was going to be used for their sacrifice. For the lamb must live with them that week and become a part of the family. This was the day. This was the day that they needed to be in the city to do that because most would not have brought that lamb with them. They would have purchased it in the city. This is interesting. This is the day the lamb of God was present to get to the city. Then he was pressing to get to the city. Just six days short. Just six days short of this celebration. Jesus was about to make his entry. Here was a mass of people behind him. Here was a mass of people in the city. And he was about to climb on a colt. The offspring of donkey. Draped with the clothing of his disciples. And to ride into this town to be the king. It's interesting that prophecy is mentioned because it mentions here about the daughter of Zion. That actually comes from uh, Zechariah 9, 9. In case you're not sure, it's just two books back to your left. You're able to go back and look at that. But he's also prophesied in another place about him arriving. In that same prophecy about him arriving uh, there and how he was going to 
arrived in the city back in Isaiah 62, I believe it is. It starts off in the first eight verses of that chapter talking about the fact that there's this great king that is going to come that's going to rescue all of Israel. And from the first eight verses, it speaks about actually Alexander the Great. And then it switches gears. And it switches gears after it talks about this great king coming on a horse with his crown and his, his people and wielding a sword and the great masses of people. It switches gears and it mentions that the ultimate king will come riding on a colt. What a transition. <laughs> From a king, Alexander the Great, who would come over and conquer and save, to a king on a colt, riding in to be coronated into the city. Into the city. And that's where we find ourselves in this story this morning. And it tells us this in the ninth verse of that 21st chapter of Matthew. As you heard the choir sing this morning, as Jesus rode into the city, the crowd, all with one loud voice, screamed, Hosanna to the son of David. Did you catch what Hosanna meant as the choir sung to you this morning? Did you catch what Hosanna meant? Because it says Hosanna to the son of David. What is it that Hosanna means? I guess if you really wanted to translate it very quickly and shortly, it would mean save now. Save. He says, save now, son of David. Because on blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now the highest. So you see this mass of people and they're screaming out to a king and worshiping him saying, save now. They're recognizing him as the Savior. But it's very interesting. Even though they all cried out with one loud voice, even though they chose to all have one accord in their voice, and now even though there was one mass of people that were screaming out, I believe if you look at that mass, you're going to find there's three groups of people in that mass all screaming out, Hosanna to King David. Let's look at those three groups very quickly this morning and see where we fit in because I will tell you this as I start the message this morning. Each of you are one of these three groups. Each of you sit in one of these three groups this morning. When we get to the end of the story today, and I'll make it very brief, but I'm going to ask you a question. Who is this king to you? Because you're going to see today that there, even though they all screamed Hosanna saved, there was three reasons behind it. The very first that we see there are those who are seeking peace with God. Those who are seeking peace with God. We find that in the 6th and 7th verse here of chapter 21. And it says, so the disciples went out and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, and set him on them. Who are the ones that were, were seeking? It was those who had been with Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. Was a hurting teach. They saw the miracles that they did. They, they heard the words that came from his mouth. They saw the compassion in his heart for those that were less fortunate as well as those who were lost. They had spent time with him. They had heard him breathe when he said in their presence. They had seen him weep. They had heard him teach. They had seen his hand as it healed those. The disciples surely would have been a part of that. Those disciples would have surely been a part. Jesus had slammed each of them, if you remember, from their daily activity. Some who were sitting by the fishing nets, he said, drop those and come with me. Some he found sitting under a tree. He said, I knew you were already under the tree. Come. For others, he just drew out of everyday life and said, come, fellas. Come with me. Not giving any direction as to where they were going. He said, follow me. And those 12 men all left their Daily lives to follow. They gave up everything that was normal to them to set out wherever Jesus was going. As a matter of fact, they were so committed to what Jesus was doing, 
if you remember in Luke 14, 26, he told him, it says, to be a disciple of mine, to follow me, to truly do that which I need you to do, that which would most glorify God, there's some things you're going to have to do. I want you to stop. I told you you're going to be a part of one of these groups. Think about this this morning. If you say, I'm one of those seeking peace with God, let me tell you what peace is going to cost you. He says in Luke 14, 26, you're going to hate your father. You're, you're going to hate your mother. You're going to hate your wife. You're going to hate your children. You're going to hate your brother. You're going to hate your sister. And guess what? You're even going to hate yourself, your own life. Because there can only be one key. There can only be one key. He says, if I'm going to be the king, none of us can Get quietness falls into the room. And there's a reason. See, the follow of Jesus didn't demand we pan we join the club group. Go to the follow of Jesus to give up everything you have for you. And see, there's this group that really desired to have peace with God. They had sat with him in private, they had heard him speak. They had seen the tears flow from his eyes, and they dearly loved him. You know what? I bet there was another person that was in that group. I bet it was a lady. I bet it was a lady that had had an issue of blood from her body for years. She had done everything that she knew how to do. She'd been to every priest. She'd been to every doctor. She'd tried every home remedy she could do. And still her body just bled continuously. She was weak physically. She was weak in spirit. She had nowhere else to turn. And she knew there was this man named Jesus. This man named Jesus was walking through the town and there was this crowd that was surrounding him. And she dared be in the crowd where she wasn't supposed to be. She dared slip through the crowd and reach her hand through and grab the hem of his garment. And what he did, when she grabbed the hem of his garment, Jesus said, someone's touched me. They looked at him like he was crazy. He said, it's obvious someone's touched you. There's thousands of people around you pushing. He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. He turns and he sees this woman. She came that day with a problem that needed healing, and healing came in a big way. Not just the issue of blood in her body. Not just the fact that she was bleeding. That's not all the healing that happened. For you see, when Jesus looked at her, he said this. Ma'am, your faith has made you well. She's been healed completely, not just her body. I can imagine she was there in the crowd. I can imagine that crowd that was following him, there was probably going to be a couple of sisters and a brother. A couple of sisters and a brother. Why? Because they stopped off in Bethany for a very particular reason. That was home of some of his best friends, Mary, Martha, and a fellow named Lazarus. He had stopped off there to see him, and I imagine as he moved forward that they would have joined in that crowd. They would have wanted to be close to him. They would have wanted to get as close as they could to him because of what he had done for them. You remember the story. Jesus was out somewhere, and they sent word and said, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. Lazarus is dying. Come. We know that you can heal him. And Jesus said, I'll get there, but it ain't going to be today. He said, I'm coming, but don't worry about it. All's well. Four days later. Four days later, he strolls into the town. He strolls into a town, into a death scene. For Lazarus had passed. All hope was lost. 
because Lazarus had died. But remember what the Bible says. Even though he'd been placed in the tomb, it says Jesus walked up in front of that tomb. And if you're into uh, Bible memorization, this is a verse you learned very early because it's the shortest one in the Bible. It says he walked up to the tomb and it says he wept. Scholars for years have argued about what he wept over. I think his heart was broken that Lazarus had passed, yes. I think his heart was broken at the scene that was there. But you know why I really think Jesus wept at that tomb? Because he knew what was about to happen. See, because he said this, Lazarus, come forth. So the reason he called his name Lazarus, because had he had just said come forth, I believe all the tombs in the whole graveyard would have emptied. <laughs> but he said, Lazarus, come forth. Why would that have made Jesus weep? Jesus has seen the other side of glory. Jesus has seen what heaven was like. And guess what he was just asking Lazarus to do? Give it up and come back. See, he had brought Lazarus back from the dead. I believe there in that crowd would have most certainly been Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Because Jesus had given back to them that thing that was so precious. What's the common denominator in all of those stories? What is the common denominator in all of those three stories? For that group of people, each of those people had had a personal experience with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It wasn't a group experience. It wasn't that they had heard about it. It wasn't they had read about it. They each had met Jesus. They had each in their life had a need that only Jesus could meet. How do I know that some of us in this room fit this category? Because unless you know it or not, each of you have a need that only Jesus can meet. For it says that God created this earth to be in perfect harmony with Him. We read about that in Genesis. Yet man chose to sin against God and do the one thing they were asked not to do. And sin came into the world. Each of us, by the fact that we've been born into this world as a human being, have inherited that sin nature. You can tell me that kids are good and there's no evil in them and all's well, but I beg to differ. I don't know of a single child that you've got to teach to say no. I have a one-year-old grandbaby right now, and I was trying to teach him this morning that there is a spoon you're supposed to use to eat oatmeal, and it did no good to stick your hand in the middle of my bowl. And when I would say no, you know what he would say? No back to me. I didn't have to teach him that. He knew that. Each of us know what it is to sin. Each of us want to sin. and That's our problem. We've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Without the interjection of a personal relationship with Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your destiny is a place called hell. I make no bones about it. There are two places. There are two places that you can end up when you've breathed your last breath on this earth. It's either in heaven in the presence of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he's been king of your life, or you will wind up in a place called hell because you've let Satan be the king of your life. There is no in-between. And once you breathe your last breath, there's not a thing on this earth and in this world that will change your destination. There is no being brought back. There is no holding point that someone can pray you out of. When life is over here, you will be in your eternity. Either eternity with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or eternity with gnashing teeth in a place called hell. I pray this morning that you're in the group of those who are seeking peace with God. That you're in the group of those who are seeking to be a part of that peace. For you see this group we see later in the week. 
We see him later in the week at the trial. Later in the week as the trial is going on, you see him off to the side in pure astonishment that the court system would blame this man that they've been with and they've seen all the good that he's done and they're just amazed that this is even going on. We see him even later in the week at the foot of the cross as they're wailing loudly and they're upset about their Savior hanging on a cross and dying when he did nothing wrong. We see him later in the week at the tomb. The tomb of Jesus, just like the tomb of Lazarus, that was empty. They showed back up to the tomb to anoint the body and the stone had been rolled away and they had found that Jesus was no longer there. And we see him confused yet rejoicing that Jesus had risen just as he said. So there is that whole group that are seeking peace with God. Very quickly, there's a whole group that's seeking peace with the world. There was a whole group that was seeking peace with the world there. Verses 8 and 9 of that 21st chapter, it says, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, they were there for they were there for the Passover. If you remember what the Passover is, very quickly, the Passover was a celebration, was a celebration of for Israel, a celebration of release of bondage from a group called the Egyptians. See, for them, it was a national entity being released from the bondage of another national entity that had had hold over them for some four hundred years. So as they come to celebrate Passover, they were seeking this this celebration of being released from the bondage of the world in their lives. And there's this whole group of people there that are focused on that. Now, Israel in all reality found themselves again in bondage, but it was under a Roman Empire at this point in time. They were under this Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire kind of controlled the things that went on, and they had to pay taxes to them, and they didn't agree with the Romans, but they were under their thumb, so to speak. And, And the Israelites knew that the Bible said, that there would be a Messiah. There's no doubt. Why do you think you use scripture and said, hey, old daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Why? Because the daughter of Zion is Israel. See, Israel was known by the daughter of Zion because of the highest mountain in the region, which was Zion. And he's saying, the word said, old daughter of Zion, Israel, that your king is coming. They knew a king was showing up. The problem is, they didn't understand who that king was going to be. They were looking for a religious leader. They were looking for someone to overthrow the government. They were looking for someone to get them out of bondage. They were looking for someone to release them from under the penalty that they faced under this government. They wanted to rule themselves and be set free. And they were searching for this, this king that would do that. Very quickly, to cut to the chase in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus speaks directly to this group, directly to this group. When he says this in the 37th verse of the 23rd chapter, when he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. He says, I've tried to tell you. I've tried to tell you. I have sent those to you to tell you that my son is coming to die for you. I have sent those to you to tell you there's not going to be a king that overthrows the government. There's going to be a king that sets the world at peace with God. I've tried to tell you, O Israel, what did you do? You killed him. He says, how often? I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. No, you were cold-hearted. You didn't want anything to do with what God had planned. He says in verse 38, See? See? In other words, look. Your house 
is left to you desolate. He says, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, and notice how this ties into what they were just screaming in the streets as he entered, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's Jesus telling them, cutting right to the chase? I'm not here for you anymore. My ministry with you is over. You're left to yourself. He said, you've made your bed, lie in it. They're seeking, they were seeking someone to come overthrow the government so life for them would become easy. And Jesus said, I'm not that king. See, they wanted a king, but they wanted a king on their own terms. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? See, we have those in the group this week. We actually saw this particular group later in the week. We saw them later in the week as Jesus went to the garden to pray and they showed up with Jesus and they captured him. We see them later in the week as they parade him from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house to Pilate's court and back and forth. We see this group of people leading Jesus through that process. We see when Pilate said, you know what, it's festival season, folks. I want to release someone to you because that's our tradition that's what we want to do because that's what we always do. So, so here I have this man that I can't find any fault in whatsoever. So what do you say I just release him to you? That man was Jesus, by the way. And the crowd cried out, No, I think we'll take the murderer Barabbas. Let's crucify Jesus. We see that group, whatever Pilate asked. He said, So... You want me to crucify your king? And in John 19, 16, it says, They answered, We have no king but Caesar. Wow. <laughs> because Jesus would not become the king they wanted him to be in the manner that they wanted, they turned their back on Jesus. This is like the people today who only want Jesus on their terms. They show up at church when the world's falling apart and there's no other answer. They pray out to an almighty God when it seems like there is nothing else. They come on Sunday and play the game of being a Christian and Monday live like the devil who is their daddy. You see, we have those who are seeking peace with the world and trying to use God to get it when God sent a king that was seeking to give peace between us and his father. And very quickly, third one, I'll cut right to the chase. In Matthew 21, 10, and 11, it shows us the third group of people. And this is the people that are seeking peace with everybody. The all-inclusives, all the other. It says this, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. So the whole city was moved when Jesus came into the city and, he, and they saw the procession, they saw the palm branches in the road, and they saw the clothes, and they saw them waving and screaming, Hosanna, the entire city was moved. In this place, and it says, they said, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the group that was at the party only because there was a party. They had no idea what was going on. They weren't looking for a king. They had no idea who this Jesus was. They didn't know why everybody gathered up. But hey, there's a party. The party's wide open. Why don't we all go? That's that crowd mentality. It's where if you can get enough people to head in a certain direction, the rest will just absolutely follow because they want to see what's happening. 
And there was an entire group of people that were gathered around that had no idea what was happening. How do we know they had no idea what was happening? Because verse 10 said they asked one very important question. What was the question? There's a guy on a coat. They're throwing stuff in the road before him. Old clothes, waving palm branches, hollering Hosanna. There's only one guy on a coat. Hey, I got a question. Who's that? See, they gathered and lined the streets and waved palm branches and throwed their clothes in the street and didn't even know who the guy was on the horse. The one that the coronation was for, the one that the party was set before, the multitude that was gathered in the city had no clue who this man was. I find it very interesting. They asked the right question. They asked the absolute right question that each of you should ask yourself this morning. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? You see, that's a question that one day you're going to have to answer. There's no way around it. Who, who is this Jesus? Is he the man that I call on when life's falling apart and nobody else can seem to help? Is he the one when I find out I have health problems I call because I heard he's a healer? See, the one when I can't figure out how to pay the light bill that I fall on my face and say, if you'll do it this one time, I'll follow you to just change our mind in about two weeks once the light bill's been paid. Or is he the one that you so dearly love that you would hate everything else in your life that's important just to pay him back for what he did for you? Is he the one that you realize there was a day that you were headed to a place called hell and there was no stopping point, no go to pass, there was no mom, dad, brother, sister, preacher that could change that destination, that there was only one person that could change it, and it was Jesus Christ. And that you didn't care what the person sitting in the next to the pew, the, the person who had invited you, you didn't care what anybody said. All you wanted to do was get to this Jesus because you knew today might be the last opportunity you ever had to hear his name, the last opportunity you ever had to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And all that you wanted was to grab a hold of the hem of the garment of this man named Jesus. Is he that king to you this morning? You see, because we've all got to answer that question. So they asked the absolute correct question, but you know they asked it for the wrong reason. They weren't searching for a savior. They wanted to know what this party was about. They just wanted to know what all the hoopla was. They wanted to know what was everybody so worked up about. Is this guy a rock star? Is this guy somebody famous? See, they saw everybody else doing something, and they wanted to do it, but they wanted to know why they were doing it. And even though they asked the right question for the wrong reason, what's most heartbreaking to me is the fact that they received the wrong answer when they asked the question. For verse 11 says, the multitude looked at them and said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is not a prophet. Everything about him is prophetic. I will give you that. Yes. But he's not a prophet. Who is this Jesus? He's the only begotten son of an almighty God. The almighty God who created all things. Why was Jesus here? Because you sinned. Let's just cut to the chase. Jesus left heaven and came here because you sinned. Each of you. It wasn't a corporate sin. It wasn't the guy sitting in the pew next to you. It's you. It's time we own up to the fact that we're the one who nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus came from heaven to this place to live an earthly life because you sinned. 
And because there was one prescription to remedy that sin, and it was a sacrifice, death. Blood must be shed, it says in the Bible. We see that all the way back in Genesis when Jesus, or when God came to the garden and found Adam and Eve hiding, and they covered themselves with fig leaves because that's what they thought that they could do to cover themselves. If you remember, God took those fig leaves from them, and it said He slay an animal and it spilled its blood and covered them with the hides of those animals, signifying that there's only one way that sin can be covered is through the shedding of blood. And that shedding of blood must come from the perfect sacrifice. Why Passover? Every year they killed millions upon millions of lambs every year. Why did they have to repeat it the next year? Because there was no spotless lamb. There was no spotless lamb until the day that they stood in the streets and screamed Hosanna to a man on a colt. And into town rode the perfect lamb of God. And he would die just six days from this point. Six days from this point, he would stretch his arms out on a cross, be nailed to the cross, have a crown of thorns shoved down on his head, be spit upon, hang underneath the sign that says, King of the Jews, have a spear run into his side. And his blood would be spilled. Why? Because you sinned. Because you sinned. And it's God saying, I'll provide just as he did for Abraham, I'll provide the sacrifice. And that sacrifice will be Jesus, my son. Not just a great prophet. God in human form. And he came that he may die on a cross for you. See, we see this group later in the week also. This group later in the week, as Pilate stands and washes his hands and says, What would you have me do with this man named Jesus, the crowd now? Not even knowing who he was what he was or why they were doing it, said, crucify him. Kill him. We don't want anything to do with him. Murder him. As a matter of fact, we'll take that old murderer Barabbas. We'll take him over Jesus. Just crucify Jesus. Unfortunately, we have that crowd in our churches today. They come not having any idea who it is that they seek. Not having any idea who it is that they seek. They seek relief from the problems of the world. They seek relief in relationships and marriages. They seek healing of their bodies because of health situations. They, they seek that the world be all right. But that's not Jesus. He tells us to follow him will guarantee you persecution in this life. Not peace with the world. See, to be at peace with God is to be at enmity with the world. He promises if you want to be right with God, the world will hate you. Why? Because it first hated me. Why would you expect more than the master? You see, we have that group today that at the end of the day would rather release to themselves the murderer of the world if he'll bring peace than to have as their king, Jesus. My question to you this morning is this. Which group do you sit in? Which group do you sit in? Are you one who really so seeks a peace with the Almighty God that you're willing to give up everything that is life to you to have Him be your king? Are you willing to admit that you've fallen short of a holy God and ask for forgiveness through the blood that has flowed from the side of His only begotten Son? Are you willing this morning to accept Jesus on any term, which is 
His term, not yours. Are you willing to come this morning and say, I've tried it my way, and my way don't work. There's only one way. It's the way, the truth, the life. And His name is King Jesus. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.